y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 161. Well, y'all will be hearing this a week later, but this week so far has been wild. Because it was my birthday? Well, that was last week. But they haven't talked to us since. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to that. Okay. Why you have to make it about you, Carrie? Because this is actually about me, (laughs) Miss Leo. (laughs) Take a back seat for a second, okay? (laughs) Because Kristen Smart, her case, Paul Flores and his dad have been arrested. And, you know, I mean, maybe they get to finally, like, dig up his mama's house, her yard. I don't know. If y'all haven't listened to the podcast in your own backyard. It's a really good podcast. It's really in-depth on that case. Kristen Smart, she's been missing for like 30 years, and they've had one suspect really this whole time, you know? And can you imagine? No. Okay, we all think this person did it, but we really can't do anything, you know? And it's that case of, well, like, we can't dig up their yard, We can't, you know, just, oh, but I don't know all the deets, but oh my gosh. But they were arrested. Yes. And making a murderer is coming back around because of Kathleen Zellner. She did the thing because she said there's a Brady violation because they withheld a witness and everything like That he worked at the mail, like he did newspapers or something. Bless his heart being, you always say wrong time, whatever. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, you know, that famous saying that I can't remember. I was going to say, yeah, like I came up with that. (laughs) I just can't fucking remember. But literally just doing his fucking job and happened to see Bobby Dassey, which if you ever watched the Facebook Live that Carrie and I did on Making a Murderer, we both said, a ring-a-ding-ding, we think he is involved somehow. Mm-hmm. He was a very, very suspicious. Anyway, but him and another unidentified male pushing the RAV4 into the parking lot, like the the junkyard. But he didn't think anything of it because, hello, like, they're on their property. It's a junkyard. Like, right. All right. But it's because Bobby tried to stop him. And he, like, ran in a ditch to get away because he was like, mm, something weird. Like, why is, why is he trying to stop me? You know what I mean? And then later when everything came out, he was like, you know, you're deep, boop, 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 boop. Um, hey, I saw Bobby and, you know, someone else. And they were like, oh, no, no, no. We already know who did it. And they never said anything else about it. They never, like, you know, nothing was ever given to anyone or anything and so i don't know but the thing is if bobby is involved brendan dassey is his brother and we all know like if you don't care about Stephen avery if you don't care about anything brendan dassey bless his heart oh that he could let his own brother waste away in jail for something he did oh well if he fucking did that of course he has no heart and soul, of course he has no problem letting his brother rot in jail. Well, you know, sometimes people who do bad things have, like, but that's my brother. Like, their immediate family is their family. But Brendan just has a special place in my heart from season one. But that was just, like, big news. And then, yes, Carrie turned 36 years old. 
just remember, girl, you turned 36 in like one, two, three, four months. Thank you, everybody who wrote all the birthday messages on the Facebook group. It meant so much to hear from you all. Donna and Tiffany surprised me with some chocolate-covered strawberries, which, you know, my fucking favorite. And they had some sugar cookies that had some different sayings that are from the podcast, which were, one, yummy, and two, so freaking cute. They had stuff like, don't fuck up my sleep, here's the kicker, you're old AF. Getting on your soapbox is your cardio was yeah. one. Another one was, student loans can fuck right off. Because we all know how Carrie feels about student loans. Look, if I had enough money to pay all for student loans, I would not. But I would pay off a little bit. Not. She still wouldn't. (laughs) Marley needs her toys, Carrie. I already know you'd save her if she was drowning and I was drowning at the same time. You're an excellent swimmer. (laughs) Marley doesn't like the water. But I didn't buy her cookies on her birthday. I buy her bully sticks. I was going to say, that costs more. But the best freaking part of all was that when Donna got him to the house, well, first of all, she had him set up and I didn't even notice. Um, But the best part of all was that it came with a little note on him. And apparently Madison works at the bakery here in town. And we didn't know Madison, but Madison listens to the podcast. To the podcast? I don't know why I said it like that. Madison (laughs) listens to the podcast. But anyway, recognized Donna's name from the caller ID and, well, the sayings. Right? That's, and was like, ugh. wrote us a note and was like, hey, guys, listen to the podcast. Love it. And threw in two cookies and wrote sayings on them. Yeah, like, her favorite. Yeah, wrote, picture it. You're old. Yes. And do boop, boop, boop on them. I know. And I'm like, classic Carrie. They were the best. They were my favorite cookies. I ate both of them. And they were bigger, I swear. They were made with extra love. Mm-hmm. And glitter. Let me tell you, we had glitter for days around our mouth. And I did not notice it until Carrie pointed it out. And then every time I'm like, you got some glitter over here. You got some glitter over <laughs> here. <laughs> she says days. Really, she means like day and a half that it took me to eat those cookies. <laughs> So thank you for the two extra cookies, Madison. And thanks for listening. And sorry I was uh, scatterbrained on the phone. That's probably what what she was like, Donna. Oh, this girl doesn't have her shit together. That is her. That is her. And then with the, oh, one of them was, nope, don't like that. And then don't fuck with my sleep. She was probably like, yeah, this is definitely them. (laughs) You're waiting to the last minute to get this done. Uh Uh-huh. Accurate. Okay. So, yeah, thanks for knowing everything about us. You know who else knows us so well? Patreoners. Okay, no. Patreoners! (laughs) I was getting help with just some ideas for the sayings, and one of them was, you know who's not going to enjoy these cookies? And on another one, Patreoners! <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, you know who's not going to enjoy these cookies? Anyone else! <laughs> Look, Carrie's stingy with food, but she she let us have some cookies. I did. I even gave one to my mama. Damn. I said, now, mama, there's going to be some cuss words on them. <laughs> <laughs> I know. When I, I called, I was like, um, is profanity okay? Can y'all write that? <laughs> I mean, we live in the South, y'all, so... 
Okay, so thank you so much, Taylor O. from Texas. Sarah W. from Washington. Mia W. from Missouri. Carrie D. from Washington. Jill R. from New Hampshire. Michelle B. from Illinois. Erica G. from Illinois. Charmaine A. from New Jersey. Mackenzie H. from Texas. And Rebecca P. from Alabama. Thank y'all so freaking much for signing up and being part of the Creepinati. If you want to join and get all the bonus content, a shout out, and all the extras, like wallpaper to your phone, sometimes your desktops, there's even been some ringtones thrown in there sometimes. So yeah, all of that, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. Okay, my story this week came from a recommendation from Tina D in the Facebook group. But I debated on how to tell this story because, you know, I always try to make it like a, a story, you know, keep you on your toes type of thing. But I felt like chronologically would just be the best way to tell this because there's some parts that just piss me the fuck off. And I want it to be told chronologically so that it'll piss you off too. So that's just the way we're going to go. So you kind of get a spoiler alert at the beginning. Okay. So... I'm going to tell you the story of Joseph Roy, well, I've heard his last name pronounced a couple of different ways, uh, Metheny or Methaney or Meth Haney, but he goes by Joe. That's what we call him. Okay. Not your boy, Joe Exotic. You don't have to bring him into this, okay? But when's season two coming out? So Joe was from Maryland. Joe, we hate him. Just know that straight out the gate, we hate him. Okay, I like him. And you you won't, I promise. Well, you still won't. <laughs> I think in this case, you would might actually agree with me. We get a lot of interviews with Joe. So a lot of this is coming from his own words. But we also take the things that he says with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, not only does he, in some instances, I think, try to minimize his involvement, there are times where he tries to inflate his involvement. Right. So just kind of know that there's going to be times where I'm like, me, and times where I'm like, me. Yeah, okay, meep, meep. Joe was born and raised in Maryland, and he was one of six kids. He says that growing up, his father was an alcoholic who was abusive, but... When Joe was just six years old, his dad died suddenly in a car accident. There's not a lot to back up his allegations of abuse from his father other than his own statements. I didn't see anything from siblings. We do get some information from his mother. And all of her accounts of his childhood are vastly different than his. Again, taking it with a grain of salt because at one point he even said his mother was dead. So she's not where she wasn't at the time. So again, we're just kind of, okay, Joe. After his father died, his mom, who had been a stay-at-home mom with these six kids, was now forced to go work outside the home and was working multiple jobs to try to take care of this huge family by herself. Man, people are so resilient. She took jobs as a truck driver, a bartender, a waitress, and like like a local truck driver, not like an over-the-road mm-hmm. truck driver. They were pretty poor, but she was doing what she had to do to make ends meet. But based on her accounts, 
they had a pretty normal life. His childhood was pretty normal. He had good grades in school, didn't really get in trouble in school. And sometimes he would go stay with family members, but like he would just go stay with family. Not like a he was sent away kind of thing. But based on his accounts, his mom was gone all the time, working. She was never there, neglected them. They were always hungry, were scavenging for food. And that basically in like a foster type arrangement would go stay with family members when the mom couldn't afford to take care of them. Whereas the mom's like, no, it takes a village. It's a community. They would just go stay with family members. It wasn't like, oh, I couldn't afford them. Go live with your grandma kind of thing. It was like, no, go stay with your grandma kind of thing, you know. But for how long? That's the difference. Right. I don't know. And again, perception's reality. You know, mm-hmm. when you're a 10-year-old and your mom's working two jobs, it may feel like she's gone all the time and that she's never there and that you're yeah. poor because you couldn't get the slap bracelet that you wanted. You know, I don't, yeah. you know, it may feel that way. And for her, she may feel like she worked as hard as she possibly could and that she was there every minute that she possibly could be there and that she helped with homework as much as she could, or, you know. Yeah. So perception's reality. Who knows? Right. And again, we don't get from anything I found. We don't have any interviews from siblings. So unsure. Yeah. Joe ended up dropping out of high school when he was in eighth grade, though. And high school in eighth grade. Did I say high school? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, junior high question mark. He ended up dropping out in eighth grade. And getting his GED. From there, he joined the Army when he turned 18. And this was in 1973. And that's important because... So, he joined in 73. So, he would would have had to have gone to boot camp and done all of his training and all of that. And then went to Germany. And then he said from there, he went and fought in Vietnam and saw all of this action in the war that caused him to get addicted to heroin conversely his mom says no he didn't go to vietnam yeah he was in the army and he went to germany but he never went to vietnam and then if you look at like when the war ended in vietnam by 1975 is There's basically like no American involvement-ish. I mean, I'm no history major, Donna. And so by the time that he joined, went through basic training, had all of the training that he had done, had to go to Germany for his extra training. Even if he went to Vietnam, he may have seen a little bit, but he would not have been there for like an extended period of time. But we can't talk about what triggers other people, though. Like if... Even if it was a small amount of time, that could have... No, but he's saying that he was in Vietnam doing heroin, like, for the whole time he was there. Also, you can't... Look at his, his army but, records. Yeah. I know. Yes, I know. I tried to... I tried to. I couldn't find anything. Well, and, and don't mean, like, you. I'm just no, saying, No, I know. Like, yes. People. That's, I thought that, too. I was like, I feel like that this would be something that was easily checked, but... Nothing I found fact-checked it. Like, even, like, articles and stuff that I found didn't fact-check it. Yeah. 
also, I think it's important to note that he and his mom weren't close when he was in the army. So it's like, even if he did go to Vietnam and spend a lot of time there, it doesn't mean that his mom would know that. Yeah. Again, I am not sticking it for him because it he probably is a terrible person. You know, I don't know what he did. But for his mom, though, like when you were talking about that they had different perspectives of what they were doing, not saying that she was a bad parent, but because he did something bad, she doesn't want to be blamed for it. So she's going to make herself look better in the light, you know, like, yeah, she's not going to be like, well, that's literally everybody with everything. Yeah. You're always going to. Well, there are some people who are like, I should have done this. I could have done better. Either way of whether he was just in Germany or was in Germany and Vietnam, at this point, he was using some pretty heavy drugs. I don't know that this is when everything started, but at this point, he was, we know, using some pretty heavy drugs. We're going to fast forward a little bit now to the 1990s. Joe is out of the military, and he's living a bit of a transient lifestyle. He's got some jobs that he's having a hard time keeping because he still has a substance abuse problem with drugs and alcohol. And he spends a lot of his life homeless. He's living in Baltimore now. And at this point, he's addicted to heroin and crack cocaine. But while he can't hold a job down for a long time, he does get jobs as like a forklift driver or he'll be a like an 18-wheeler driver, like stuff like that. Yeah. So it's not that he can't get a job. He just can't keep them. And then he's getting decent jobs, too, when he does get them. Joe's known on the street by his nickname, Tiny, which, of course, he's not Tiny. He's 6'1", and he weighs about 450, 500 pounds. And I just have to get on a little bit of a soapbox here. This case has a lot of substance abuse and sex work and Joe who is overweight. And the number of podcasts that I listen to that are still one made fun of him for his fucking weight. I wanted to rage and throw my phone. It, I don't give a flying fuck how much of a piece of shit he is. Like, that is such low fucking hanging fruit. Come up with something a little more clever, I feel like. Am I wrong? No, I'm just thinking I talk about Michael Peterson's eyebrows. His bushy eyebrows. And like BTK, his eyebrows. Okay, okay. So, remember, is it something that they can fix within... 15 minutes. If it's something in their appearance that can be fixed in 15 minutes, it's fair game. Okay. Because, yeah, just fucking shave your eyebrows. You can fix that in 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, that's the fair game. Okay. I get that. But if it's not something that they could easily change. Like getting a thumb? Like fixing their teeth. Fixing their uh, lazy eye. uh, Weight loss or something like that. No, you don't fucking make fun of that shit. Yeah. So yeah, you could fix her. You could fix her fucking eyebrows. 
maybe I'm being hypersensitive because I don't want to be fucking made fun of for my weight. But I just think it's fucking bullshit that because I feel like it's still one of the only acceptable things to make fun of somebody's appearance about because you would for sure. And it pisses me the fuck off. It's not like bro humor. It's not it's not funny. It's not cute. It's not clever. It's not anything. It's childish. But and why is it bad? I don't understand why it's bad. Like they okay because later this is kind of jumping ahead because this is just like where I decided to get on this uh, soapbox that I'll die on, you know, because I'm fat and my heart's well, going to give out, you know, because that's literally what one of the podcasters said about oh my him. Gosh. You know, marathon runners have heart attacks. They, yeah, literally, he works at a company where they make pallets, like wooden pallets for, you know, moving furniture and blah, 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 blah. And they said something about him not being able to climb on the pallets because the pallets would disintegrate under him. You you mean the things that are literally designed to carry tons, literal tons of goods. Yeah. Would disintegrate under him. Right. And then something said about like victims, first of all, very victim blamey. Why didn't they just run? Because... Wouldn't his heart just give out? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Not just about him, but, like, why Why is being fat bad? No, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. but I'm saying, like... Like, it shouldn't be something, like, okay, cool, moving on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay. Why is it something that everyone feels like they have to have an opinion on? Like, why... Is someone's size something that you feel like you have the ability to open your goddamn mouth about? Yeah. Oh, you look like you've gained some weight. Oh, mm, it doesn't fucking matter. Shut your goddamn mouth. Yeah. I know. But it goes both ways because people who are thin don't want to be told they're thin either sometimes. Right. You should eat a cheeseburger. Like, don't say that to people. Because here's the thing. You don't know someone's fucking story. So keep your fucking mouth shut. That's just it. You don't know somebody's story. You don't pretend to understand what they're going through. You don't know. You just don't fucking know. So just keep your fucking mouth shut. It's none of your business. That's my soapbox. Okay, moving on. I'm sure I'll get back on it later. So now it's July of 1994. Joe, at this point, is working as a truck driver And he is married with a son. One day, he comes home from work. And when he gets there, he goes inside the house, flips the lights on, walks in, and everything in the house is gone, including the wife and the kid. So he's fucking pissed. His wife, who is also addicted to crack, he finds out, has moved to basically the other side of town with a man. And according to Joe, is working as a sex worker for drugs for this guy. She ends up getting busted and the kid gets taken by child services. Well, again, according to Joe... 
because of his criminal background with drugs and all, he's not able to get custody of the kid. And so the kid goes into foster care. And so he's pissed. He's like, all she had to do was drop the kid off at my mom's house. She could have gone off, lived her best life doing crack and having sex with whoever she wanted to for money and left the kid at my mom's house. I could have kept working, could have gone and seen the kid. He would have never ended up in foster care and all would have been fine. Right. Which does make sense. Again, this is his version. Mm -hmm. This is the only, only version I've got. So basically, he says that when his son went into foster care, it just welled up this hate so strong in him for his ex-wife and the man that she was living with that he just had to go out and find them to kill them. So he knew where they would go to hang out to get high. And he knew that they usually hung out under this bridge area, which was a kind of a known camp for people who were homeless. And th- again, that's where they would hang out and get high. So he went to that bridge to look for them. When he gets there, they aren't there. But there are two men who live under the bridge. Their names are Randall Brewer and Randy Piker. So it's like this kind of like tent city And the the bridge is the Hanover Street Bridge in Baltimore. And so when he gets there, he's like, you know, where are they? They're not there. And so he just basically in a rage on these guys because these guys are passed out. He doesn't ask them questions like, hey, have you seen them? He just in a rage starts killing Randall and Randy. Whoa. With an axe. What? Yes. So he chops them up. This is the part where he ends up telling this part of the story that we're like, "Eh, uh, we don't know if this part's true, but we'll go with it. Okay. So I don't know how much this part is true, but he says that after he killed Randall and Randy, because it's right off the, the bridge. So there's obviously water. He kind of cleans up the as much as he can, the kind of the scene. And he goes and he finds a sex worker. He goes to the sex worker to see if he can get information as to where his ex-wife is. When he gets to her, she's like, man, I don't know anything. And he, I guess, didn't like the answer. And so he beats and rapes this sex worker, and then kills her. Oh my gosh. He says that he then throws her in the bushes. And then he says that from there, he gets a second sex worker and does the same thing. And like throws her down into these bushes. I don't think you need to kill four people to get it out of your system. Like bam, 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 bam. Oh, but wait, we're not done. Talk about a spree killer. From there, basically, he said that he was putting their bodies. See, this is the part where I'm kind of fuzzy about because I think that this, the part about these two sex workers is a lie because this was never corroborated. And so that I'm not very clear on kind of the timeline of his story. So if I, 
fuck up some of these details, um, it's because I just don't fucking understand it. Okay. But from what I gather, this guy who was a fisherman saw him. And so he said that he looked up. There was this older black man looking at him. He's looking at him. Guy's looking at him. And it was just kind of a, like you said earlier, wrong place, wrong time. You know, that saying I made up. (laughs) And he had this lead pipe, went over there and beat the guy to death. Can't have a witness. So in his account, he says, you know, it's a very busy night for me. Five murders went within about seven hours, right? So here's the part where it's going to make you want to like, because it was only about two and a half weeks later, he was actually arrested for the murders of Randall and Randy. Also, they sound like a law firm or something. The law offices of Randall and Randy, mm-hmm. LLC. Mm-hmm. But he was never arrested for the murders of this fisherman and two sex workers he allegedly killed that were in the water. Like, there were no other bodies. So that's why I say I don't know if those three actually happened. Well, did they, like... Uh, they looked for them and everything. Like, so I don't think they those actually happened. Okay. What's it called? Dredge the... Yeah. Drudge? Dredge? Dredge the... Yeah. Yes. And they did look in the water and all around. Because it was about two weeks after... Like I said, Randall and Randy were murdered that Joe was actually arrested for their murders. So he went to trial and everything and was actually released and found not guilty due to insufficient evidence. Here's why. The day the bodies were discovered, just a couple of days later, another guy by the name of Larry Amos stole the axe that Joe had used to kill Randall and Randy and used it to kill another man who is homeless named Everett Dowell. Oh my goodness. Like a perfect fucking storm. Yeah. And so Larry Amos pled guilty to like a lesser charge manslaughter. He ended up only serving a year and nine months of an eight-year sentence for the murder of this Everett Dowell. That's a whole nother fucking thing. But I digress. Also, did he say he stole it or that Dumafletchy sold it to him or anything? I don't know. Because that would be a good... Yeah, yes. But basically what the jury said was that there's no way to prove Mm -hmm. that Larry didn't use that axe to kill Randall and Randy. Or Joe used the axe to kill Randall and Randy. Oh, yeah, for Like, there's no way to to prove without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. So they had to drop, basically drop the charges. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if he's the luckiest person or he is, you know, that gif where the guy's, like, tapping his head, like, "Mm, you three steps ahead, if he was that. No, luckiest fucking person. Okay. So, he spent like 18 months in prison for this, you know, awaiting trial and all of that, but then got to just fucking walk away. Wow. But again, later, we know that he says, nah, I fucking, I killed Randall and Randy. 
Like, I did this. Because he says that, you know, those two were the first of his, basically, spree because he was so angry at his ex about his son, and that's where he had gone. The other thing, too, was that where they were killed was a spot of, like, rival groups among homeless men. And so they were saying, there's no way to prove. And so that's why, again, he got off. Like, it, that's what I'm saying. It was, like, the perfect fucking storm. Like, he, I mean, it was yeah a fucking perfect storm. So when he got out of jail for those murders, he started working back at the pallet company that we I talked about earlier. So, you know, the wooden pallets that you, like, stack freight on, and then you can move it from place to place with, like, a, a pallet jack type thing. So, this place makes them, and he drives the forklift, he works there during the day, and then I'm sure, because he's a bit of a con man, and I'm sure he convinced them, like, hey, you know, look, I just served 18 months in jail. Look, I didn't even do this. Look, they... They had to let me go for insufficient evidence. Can mm-hmm. you, I don't have anywhere to stay. And so on this property was a trailer. And so they let him stay on the property for free in this trailer. So then it was like, well, well, while you're here, why don't you be our night watchman? And we'll pay you a little extra since you're here. Damn. Here's the keys to the place. Oh, gosh. So now he's living there for free, getting paid extra to be their security and has the keys to like lock the gate. Right. Of this place that's, you know, at least a city block big on a dead end street where nobody else is at night. So it's secluded and Mm. no one can hear screams. (laughs) Joe took Kathy Ann Magaziner who at the time was 39 years old and had a history of a conviction for being a sex worker. So he took her back to his trailer where he strangled her and buried her body. Mm, Gosh. I'm going to say he raped her. Her having a history of sex work, I don't know, but I'm going to say raped her. Yeah. I mean, clearly there was no exchange of money because he fucking killed her. So... Even if she went willingly, this was not the outcome that she fucking planned. So, um, he fucking raped her. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He then took Kimberly Lynn Spicer, who was also a sex worker, back to the trailer. And this was in, like, mid-November of 1996. And he stabbed her to death with a knife. Oh, gosh. So, around this time, he's still doing drugs working as the forklift operator, and then he starts operating a barbecue joint on the side of the road. So with the bodies of Kathy and Kimberly, he literally took some of them to put in the meat that he served at his barbecue place. Oh, gosh. He says, this is such a gross detail, so fast forward if you can't listen, but he says that humans basically taste like pork, and that if you mix it in right, people can't tell the difference. Oh, oh, I thought you were going to say they added flavor, so I'm, I'm messed up. Joe pulled an Ed Kemper, 
And he dug up Kathy's skull and had sex with it. God bless. Then on December 8th of 1996, Joe has a sex worker by the name of Rita Kemper. What? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Whenever I was like going through and I was like, God, that sounds just like Ed Kemper. And then like the next thing talked about Rita Kemper. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. So he has Rita at the trailer with him. And allegedly, they're doing some drugs together, and he tries to rape her. And she is like, absolutely not, and fights back, which I'm sure that all of them, all did. Of them fucking did. Yeah. But Rita is able to scramble away from him. He chased her. He beat her, dragged her back into the trailer, He tried to rape her again. He told her that he was going to kill her and bury her in the woods with the other girls. She's able to wiggle her way out through a window. Once she got out through the window, I just picture like this scary movie moment where he's just walking behind her because the more they screamed, the more he would just laugh at them. Oh. And he would tell them, like, nobody can hear you screaming. Like, scream all you want to. Because, like, he got off on it, basically. Yeah. And so I just picture, like, a scary movie how she's running and he's just slow walking behind her because where's she going to fucking go? Right. And he, it's his turf. He knows all the nooks and crannies. Exactly. And he has the keys. The gates literally, you know, it's this eight-foot-tall fence with barbed wire on the top. And he's got the fucking keys. Mm. So... He's walking behind her, and she takes off. But Rita finds a pile of pallets and literally scales up this pile of pallets and jumps onto the fence, scales the rest of the way of the fence. Because the the pallets were like five or six feet tall. Yeah. Scales the rest of the fence, climbs over the barbed wire, Mm. and jumps off the other end. So she's on the other side. A truck happens to be driving by and gives her a ride. She is naked, covered in cuts. And this fucking truck takes her to a gas station. What? Take her to the fucking hospital. So she goes to the gas station and she calls police. Well, that truck was probably up to no good, but he was trying to be good in that moment. Yeah, but take her to the fucking hospital. You don't have to take her to the police station. Take her to the goddamn hospital. So she calls police. And as soon as she escapes, Joe goes and unlocks the lock to the fence and just kind of gets ready, hides what, you know, cleans up a little bit, hides what he needs to hide, like her clothes and stuff like that. Basically, he's like, out of respect for his employer, it wasn't going to be this like big to do at that location. So police come and arrest him. And basically, he's only in jail for hours and he gets out on bail who got him out i I don't fucking know but he gets out on fucking bail i'm like okay so she literally told you that he threatened to kill her and bury her with the others in the fucking woods i'm sorry what right oh and he kidnapped someone and tried to rape them if she came to the trailer willingly and they were doing drugs, I mean, I guess technically he didn't kidnap her, but like, 
I mean, if he was like pulling her back in, I mean, that's like kidnapping, right? It's holding her with like, against her will. Yeah. That's kidnapping. Keep this in mind. Clearly, they didn't search everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, because after that, after he gets out, he calls up a friend. Doop, boop, boop, boop. Hey, uh, can you come help me uh, bury this body? Because he still hadn't buried Kimberly Lynn Spicer. So he calls up a friend and says, hey, I got this body I need to bury. She'd been there a fucking month. So the friend goes and calls police and tells police. So that is the only reason why police know about the other fucking two murders. Wow. So it's like, you didn't do a fucking search? Like, I feel like that's like, oh, this girl says that she was attacked in here? Let's go look in here. Right. I mean, who knows where he had the body on that property? And and that's a big fucking property. You can't be like, oh, here, let's search this entire property because of this one. You, That's not how searching works. I get that. And there's no telling where he had the body. But I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like that was a huge miss. And again, while I understand, they probably were only able to search the trailer and he could have literally had her like under a pallet next door and they couldn't have searched that. It just feels like, Fuck, you know? But where'd he have the skull? Who the fuck knows? So after his friend turned him in, he was arrested and he just sang like a canary. He told all the things. And of course, we know told of some murders that have not been corroborated. There was a lot of back and forth with him, like taking police out, looking for body parts that he said that he had you know, cut them up and buried them in different spots, that kind of thing. But all in all, at first, he was sentenced to death for the two murders of Kimberly and Kathy and 50 years for the kidnapping and attempted sexual assault on Rita. But they ended up changing his death sentence to life in prison because at first... They gave him the death sentence because he robbed and murdered them. And then they were like, oh, wait, there's actually no proof that he robbed them. He just murdered them. So there's not that like extra circumstance. So, yeah, we got to take the death penalty off. Oh, wow. Okay. But he ended up dying in prison at the age of 62 on August 5th of 2017. Oh, damn. Yeah, so not too, too long ago. Yeah. So people call him a cannibal, but I'm not exactly sure if he's a cannibal. Because, I mean, I feel like maybe he had to taste some of it to know, like, okay, people aren't going to know they're eating human. But I don't know that he ate the sandwiches. He probably didn't. But I also don't know, did he actually serve human? Right. I mean... He's also kind of, you know, tall tales. Uh-huh, so, he's a showboater. Yeah, so I don't know that he actually did it. Yeah, it's not like he was a butcher by trade and... Yeah, he just randomly started this, like, yeah, I'll serve some barbecue sandwiches. Yeah. But then again, he just randomly was like, yeah, I'll serve some barbecue sandwiches. So, I mean, it could go either way. Yeah. Though I still don't think he would have tasted them, tasted the burgers or anything, Because 
I don't think he got off on that part. Right. Yeah. That didn't have, that wasn't his mm-hmm. thing. It's more like, ha ha ha. Like, you don't even know what you're fucking eating. You're so stupid. Right. I'm, I'm so great. I'm so smart. I'm mm-hmm. so controlling. I'm so all the things. Yeah. And no one's going to know what I did to them. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so that would be it. Like watching people eat it, you know, and know that his victims are in those sandwiches would be what he got off on. I, I don't think he would ever taste it. He was I don't think he was a cannibal. Because if he was a cannibal, I feel like way more of their bodies would be missing. And, like, it would have been more, like, taken care of, I guess. Like, you know what I mean? Like, usually cannibals are, like, so meticulous. Right. And, and it, it also feels so random, too. Like, okay, so you randomly decided to take the skull out and have sex with it. Like... That feels random to me, too. And so that almost feels like that's a fake detail. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that was a shocking detail about Ed Kemper. I'll say that. Yeah. You know, like, he's, like, picking these shocking details from killers. And he's just, like, throwing darts. Like, I'm going to say that. Yeah. I'll say that next. Mm-hmm. So who the fuck knows what's true and what's not? Other than that he's terrible and he murdered people and right that's mm. and really and truly all we know is that he murdered randy and randall kathy kimberly and then attempted rita that's all we truly know for sure yeah but he's an interesting character i mean he's like i mean even when you just like look at pictures of him i mean there's a famous picture of him where he's like Rawr, like Looks like he's growling with his arms out, like he's gonna, I'm gonna get you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, he plays the part. He's, you know, I mean, it's this kind of shock value, you know? So mm-hmm. that's why I'm like, I don't know how much he's done some shitty things. I mean, right. I'm not saying he's a, oh, he's not that bad. No, he's bad. I mean, I'm not saying he's good. He's bad. Yeah. Just not as, maybe not as like bad as he wants us to think. Yeah. You know, like the whole cannibal thing and, the number of people or the, I don't know, but he is interesting because he doesn't seem to care how he kills them. Right. Know? Yeah. Like, it goes from like strangulation to stabbing to a freaking ax and two men to two women to, I mean. But it all stemmed from his hatred, you know, because his son was taken away. Mm, don't buy that either. Let's say that it really did stem from that. So you kill two innocent people who were sleeping, passed out, whatever, who you didn't get any answers from because you didn't ask them any questions. And so they're just completely innocent bystanders that have nothing to do with anything. And so you just kill them? Like, that makes zero sense. Yeah, and if that was the case, I feel like his rage would have been, I mean, I don't know. I've never had that much rage. But, like, it would have been more of a, holy shit, you know, like, that's out of your system, and, like, holy shit, what have I done? Clean that up as much as possible, like, if you, you know, are that type of person, and then, like, try to hide your tracks, not go, allegedly, kill two more people, and then that starts your killing fest. But then to be like, oh, it just awakened this killer in me. No. I'm sorry. No. Yeah, and then again, it, yeah, I just don't, I don't buy it. It can't be rage from your kid being taken from you 
but already like awakening something that like I don't know, just something. Mm, it's like he's trying to get a sympathy vote, and they tried that a lot at trial too, like with the with his drug history to try to don't seek the death penalty. He didn't have control, kind of thing because of the drugs. Basically, he wasn't in his right mind. Like, don't seek the death penalty because of that. I don't know. That's hard. Yeah, this is a uh, t- pretty terrible case. Yeah. Thanks, Tina. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty terrible. Even with the plus or minus uh, three deaths. Right, yeah. Honestly, this is why I don't like serial killer stories as much. Because it because they have so many victims that it's hard to like hone in on that. But then at the same time... It doesn't get me so depressed because you don't, like, feel like you know the victims so much. Right. You know? Because it's like... You don't have that same connection to them. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, this person, and you know, learn about her, and then it's like, and then they met, and that's when he killed. You know, and it's like, wait, what's going on? You know? So yeah. It's like a love and hate relationship there. Much like ours. <laughs> she is a Grinshaw. She... Hate, 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 hate. <laughs> Sound like you said cr- Grinshaw. Grinshaw. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I remembered I'd go second this week, so it's not as heavy as that. Definitely not. I'm doing a recommendation from a creepster, so shout out Lisa F. Picture it. Franklin, Kentucky, 1847. Damn, we going way back. Mm-hmm. A man named Andrew Jackson Caldwell decided to build a house for him and his family, but he didn't want just any kind of house. He wanted something special, something that would stand out. So he built an octagon house. The house was two stories, red brick, and of course had eight sides. It was also in a prime location close to Nashville Road and the L&N Railroad, which will be important a little later. It took a while to complete the house because, you know, it was extra as fuck, much like Andrew Jackson Caldwell probably was, but I don't know the man. But he wanted a freaking octagon house. Uh, any relation to the president? No. Just checking. (laughs) So the house was finished in 1859, And they moved in, began working the land there to raise cattle. Andrew owned 25 slaves, and they worked really fucking hard on building this house, by the way. And, of course, doing all the other things his extra as fuck ass wanted. Imagine that. Fuck him. Mm Mm-hmm. So, just to let y'all know, they had to make each brick. Like, make the brick. What? I mean, duh. I guess people had to make bricks. But, like, I mean, I don't know, like... Why did that blow my mind so much? Like, you don't just go to the brick and mortar store and get a brick <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, what? Right. So, they had to make the brick, and the exterior was three bricks deep. What? Yes. Is the, that normal? Uh, no, that's pretty thick. Uh, I think mine was two. Mine's two. Okay. I don't know if mine's two. I think mine might just be one. <laughs> I don't know what standard is. I'm not a home builder. Mm-mm. But, Okay. Then they had to basically do geometry and shit that I don't understand to create the corner bricks because those were five-sided because of the angles and they had to make sure that the home's exterior was seamless. Oh my God. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And we all know why this is one of my stories, because it's going to be haunted soon enough. And guess what the foundation's made of? Quicksand. Really, Carrie? (laughs) (laughs) What the Mario's going on here? (laughs) Context clues, Carrie. Context clues. (sighs) God. Uh, Brick. What's what's the right answer? Mortar? (laughs) (laughs) Even with that inflection, no. (laughs) Mortar? (laughs) Limestone. Oh, Oh, haunted. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, finally. You were so proud of yourself that you remembered it last time. See, I remembered it. See, I remembered it. Well, I need more context clues. I said foundation made of limestone rock. I'm sorry, that quicksand entered your mind first. (laughs) Oh, God, everything else got sucked down. (laughs) They died. They all sank to the death. Brick? Mortar? (laughs) Pestle? You just word association. (laughs) It's a brick and mortar store. Get it. (laughs) Let me follow that up by saying, so just know that he laid the perfect foundation for a haunt. Side note, sorry, Andrew Jackson Caldwell, you should have done quicksand. In my defense, though, you had just talked about how they made every brick. So I thought you were going to say, like, I thought that's where you were going. And so guess what the the foundation was made out of? They had to make those bricks, too. That's Truly, that's where I thought you were going. But I stopped that, and then I said, because it's going to be haunted soon. And that's why you said quicksand. Well, quicksand was really, truly a joke. Oh. Yes. Did you think I was serious? I did. <laughs> you literally said it without a break, so well, I was like, oh, shit. Well, I'm quick-witted. <laughs> I hate you so much right now <laughs> that you thought I was totally serious. All right. Another thing to know about Andrew is that he had a brother in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. So he was very pro-Confederate. And I mean, he was a slave owner, so we know his stance. And since he was in that prime location, he was close to some of the action. The Union forces used that railroad a lot. And what the Union Army didn't know was that Andrew and his family opened their home as a sanctuary to the Confederate soldiers throughout the war. Which they found out, but like they could never prove it, you know? which I'll get to in a little bit. But Bowling Green, Kentucky was the Confederate capital and basically the hub for the Confederate army. So it was an optimal place for any camp. So both sides wanted it. So there were some battles and shit, you know, historic shit. And so the Confederacy had to get the fuck out of Bowling Green to survive. And I mean, I'm like watering this down. So please do not use my, this episode as cliff notes. But The night after they evacuated Bowling Green, more than like 8,000 Confederate soldiers used Andrew's land as their campgrounds because he had like hundreds of acres. Now, it's said that later that week when the Union soldiers arrived, this was like two days, three days later, there were like 10,000 of them and they also used it as their campgrounds. But they were not so nice to the family and didn't respect the land at all. It's rumored that they ate all their food, killed their cattle, which is how he made his money. The Union soldiers did? Yes. Okay. And burnt some of the buildings on Andrew's land. 
And then the cherry on top was that they contaminated their water supply with the carcass of Andrew's wife's favorite milk cow named Spot. Like they just slaughtered the cow to throw down the well to poison the water hole. Wow. And again, some of that's rumors, whatever. But that reminds me of the soldiers who were assholes in that movie, like The Patriot. And like they would just, I mean, it was an actual thing that they could just take over someone's house and they had to let them. Yeah, there was nothing you could do about it. Yeah. So it's like, it could be true, you know? So anyway, throughout the war, the house was used as a secret hospital and a safe haven as much as possible. But the Union forces knew that Andrew was a Confederate supporter, and so they would pop in and try to catch the family hiding people or just to harass them. You know, I mean, they've already terrorized them, so it's like, oh, okay, you know, like, eh, we got time. Let's go in here and see if they have anything to eat. You know, whatever. One of the ways that Andrew would hide soldiers is that he would use his cupola as a beehive thing. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. It's very shishi. As is his octagon house, which is called Octagon Hall. But a cupola is like a dome thing that sits on a roof and it's used for ventilation and stuff. But it's like the thing that's on the top of USM's main building that was green, but now it's brown or copper or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that dome. It's kind of like that. So anyway, he would just let the bees swarm around in there and he'd supply the Confederate soldiers with the like bee suits, whatever you call them, like, you know, the garb that you wear so you don't get stung. Yeah. And they would hide in there because if anyone came to inspect for soldiers, they would open up the hidey hole and they're going to be met with a swarm of bees and be like, oh, you know. Yeah. Get me out of here. Yeah. They would be deterred. Oh. (laughs) Could you be more specific? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, God. Unfortunately, later in 1916, that cupola was struck by lightning and was badly damaged because it caught fire, and so it's no longer there. So that piece of history is gone. Some other spots were hollow walls that he had included in his design of his house, a tunnel in the basement, and a secret place under the front steps on the porch. Like, you'd have to remove a brick, you know, do all the secret spy shit. You know, when you think about it, too, is that the slaves knew about all of these hiding places Mm -hmm. for the Confederate soldiers and, like, could do and say nothing. I know. For the people who were persecuting them. Yeah. It is said, also, that the Union soldiers were very disrespectful to the slaves and whatnot, you know? But I I don't know. I couldn't find any, like, concrete articles on that or anything like that but debbie one of the like guides there at this place she had like just kind of mentioned it and she got kind of like you know choked up and she was like it's a sensitive topic for me and like kind of went on and i was like but i need to know like i you know like i hate to say that and they didn't but well uh, honestly it wouldn't surprise me though Mm -hmm. given the times yeah i mean even though they were fighting for their freedom. They weren't fighting for their equality. Right. That's so true. The Caldwell family definitely experienced loss in that house. Andrew's wife, Elizabeth, known as Lizzie, she had died and not sure her cause of death, what that was, 
But then their daughter, Mary Elizabeth, was just 11 years old, about to turn 12, when she was in the winter kitchen in the basement of the house playing with her cousin. And the winter kitchen was in the basement because cooking down there helped heat the whole house. And they also, like, had a summer kitchen. Like, man, people back then, they really were inventive, you know, and not in, in innovative. That's the word. You know, like, could you think about it? It's like winter kitchen, summer kitchen, rumor, rumor. But it's like, no, that's pretty damn smart. However, their poor daughter, Mary Elizabeth, she got too close to the fireplace and her dress caught fire, burning her severely. And she lived for seven days in agonizing pain until she succumbed to her wounds in the upstairs family sick room. Also, AJ was the younger brother, and he was only 11 months old when he somehow took a tumble down the stairs and he broke his neck. Lizzie, AJ, and Mary Elizabeth are all buried in a little makeshift cemetery that's enclosed with stones on the property. And Lizzie died pretty, like, right when they moved in or, like, right before they moved into the house. But, you know, like, she was there while it was being built and all of that. But, like, I think it was right after, like, the finished product. But Andrew remarried soon after to a woman named Harriet. Andrew and Harriet lived in the house until 1866 when he died. And then Harriet continued living there until 1918. In 1918, she sold the house to a Dr. Miles Williams. And he lived there until he died in 1954. Then his beneficiaries were like, rental property. So it remained a rental until 2001 when the Octagon Hall Foundation was formed and they got control of the building. They, of course, wanted to focus on the restoration and preservation of this historical landmark because this is the only surviving octagonal building in Kentucky and like one of like eight in the U.S. Damn. Yeah. With all the deaths from the war and the families, there's no shock that Octagon Hall is haunted. And also just think that it was being used as a hospital. And so they had to amputate people's limbs and perform different surgeries on them. And they didn't have medication, so they could just be like, okay, you're not going to feel a thing. They're like, here's a t-shirt Bite on it. I was going to say, here's a leather strap, Mm -hmm. bite on it, and be quiet. Yeah. They would also use chloroform, but that didn't last long. So you had to shit and get off the pot with the surgery. Or, oh, they're awake now. Okay, can't give you any more, you know, and continuing. So it was still just like, oh, all that pain and anguish. And then it said that there were so many amputations that were happening that limbs were just like tossed on the property. Oh, my God. Ugh. Yeah. So, again, even if the soldiers didn't die there, they experienced a lot of fucking pain there and on the property because there were, you know, fights and all of that. And just a lot of trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. Billy Bird is the executive director of the Octagon Hall Museum and has been for around 20 years. And he's an expert at, like, historical restoration and all of that. And he was interviewed and he said, you know what? I've just seen and heard too much 
not to believe because he was a total skeptic until he saw a little girl come in and he thought she might have lost her parents or something. And he was like, "Hun, can I help you? And he said she just turned away from him and then just kind of poofed into black dust, basically. He was pretty much in shock for like 10 minutes later and was like, what the fuck happened? And they believe that was Mary Elizabeth. And more about her, people have reported that toys have been moved by an unseen force in her bedroom. And others have felt their hands being grabbed like by a child. Carrie, you're going to love this. She loves girls with long hair and she loves to run her fingers through it. I mean, where is this house again? Uh-huh. Kentucky? How, how long does it take us to get right. there? Right. Carrie's like, nope, don't like that. Nope, don't like that. Oh, play with hair? Yep, like that. Sign me up. I'll be there in, uh, what, 13 hours-ish? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. see you there. <laughs> well, heartbreakingly, some have heard whispers of a little girl's voice saying, Mommy. Oh. And it's been heard a lot by the grave, like her her mom, and her little brother's grave. It's so sad. Yeah. In 2003, they had this Halloween ghost tour. And again, everything's trying to be, you know, like in that period. And so they had a fireplace kettle and it like swung out into the room, but like no one moved it. And it was hanging from, you know, like an a wrought iron kind of like movable arm, but the kettle is too heavy to move easily and you would have heard someone like grunt to push it or, you know, saw someone push it. Right. Then there is an incident when some actors stayed the night in the house during a Civil War reenactment and they heard, I don't know why they were like, oh, let's stay in this house. Uh-uh. Not dressed like that. Mm-mm. Well, they heard phantom footsteps and doors being opened and closed all night. Like, excuse me, are you trying to get a rise out of the uh, ghosts? Like, what what you looking for there? What in the Zach Bagans is going on here? The next morning after, you know, a sleepless night, somebody saw a body-shaped imprint in a bed in the upstairs bedroom. And it isn't one that anyone is ever allowed to sleep on. And... No one slept in the bed, but someone was like, okay, it's a joke. Someone played a prank, you know, ah, ha, ha, whatever. Yeah, good one. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward a couple of days later, and one of the cleaning staff was in the bedroom, and she saw that feather bed, and again, it looked like someone had been lying in it. And she's like, what the fuck? But she fluffed it up because she didn't want to get in trouble, I'm sure. Well, she left and returned just doing a once-over before calling it quits, And the imprint was in the bed again, and she was the only one in the house. On tours, there's been various children who have told their parents that they've seen children, like other children their age, in costumes. I mean, I'm sure they didn't say in historical costumes, but in costumes playing in or around the home. So could you imagine being the parent and like driving home your like 11-year-old kid and it's like... Uh, did you see that little girl playing blah, blah, blah? And it's like, uh. What? Nope. You know, like there were no kids there. You know, it's like, yeah. Mm-mm. Nope, nope, nope. There's a soldier who Maria Duff with Night Stalkers Paranormal Research believes was a spy. His name was Jerome Clark. And he would dress up as a woman. And his name that he would go by was Sue Mundy. 
However, he does not like being called that name, and her and her group believe he is still tied to this house because his gun is in the museum on display. Another spirit is a soldier of the ones who we know died there, and they call him Eddie. Maria, again with the Night Stalkers, said that it sounds like he drags his leg when he walks, and that's how they know it's Eddie. There's a dragging sound and then a step, a dragging sound and then a step. His spirit stays mostly in the attic, which is where he died. He was shot and he made it to Octagon Hall and they hit him up in the attic. But the Union Army was all around the property snooping because they knew they had injured some soldiers and they would need help. And where would they go? Right there. So Eddie was up there in the attic three days before the soldiers left, so no one could go check up on him because the Union guys were watching Andrew and his family like a hawk 24-7 during those three days. When they were finally able to check in on him, he had passed. Mm. One of the guides there, Yesenia Bush, had a brush with the paranormal in the museum one night. She was cleaning the former hospital room or the family sick room when she got an intense feeling in the back of her throat and in the back of her mouth, and then she could taste and smell blood. So she thought it was a nosebleed. She tilted her head back because she said she didn't want to, like, drip on anything because, you know, historical. And that just caused it to grow worse to the point where she started choking like she was choking on blood, like she was gurgling up blood. So she was freaked out. So she flung her head forward like, okay, sorry, but I'm just going to get blood everywhere, but I'm about to die. Right. And when she did, nothing came out. No blood, nothing. So she went to check the mirror and nothing was out of the ordinary. And the feeling slowly dissipated as she examined herself. Also, sidebar, when you have a nosebleed, you're supposed to lean forward, not backwards. Yeah, I do know that one. So we know there was another soldier who died on the doorsteps of the house, and he's buried with Eddie outside of the slave cemetery on the property. And that cemetery, it has 17 graves in it, and they're only marked by field stones. And that's so freaking sad to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yes, they definitely deserve more than that. Yeah, they had a fucking name. And a life and a family and people who love them and everything was taken away from them in life and in death. Yeah. They, oh, I, mm. but speaking of death, sometimes on the anniversary of Andrew's death, there's this flowery smell that will fill the room and then it's followed by a stench of like decaying meat. Ooh. And people say that. His body was displayed in the parlor, which was normal. Right. And that's where the scent is, like the flowers and the decaying meat. And so, yeah, like that's why it's like that. And I was like, oh, yay, flowers and decay. Yay, funerals. I don't even know. But you know what? Because Andrew is extra as fuck. I don't know. I don't feel like, why did it have that smell, though? Who knows? He probably said, "Um, I need to be left out for 17 days. No embalming fluid. Mm-hmm. There's other claims that include apparitions of a soldier in the driveway and one leaning against a tree in the backyard of the property next to the summer kitchen. 
And then others say that they've seen an apparition of a little girl in the yard when they were up in the house looking down from an upstairs window and an apparition of a little girl in the basement. Again, that little girl is thought to be Mary Elizabeth. There's also been an apparition of a decomposing corpse at the bottom of the stairs, which no thanks. Also, like, mm -mm, just never in my life want to see that. Yeah, hard pass. Yeah. Mm -mm. Then on the first floor, there's been a report of a really tall, like, seven-foot shadow that's been aggressive towards paranormal investigators before, like, charging them. And when it's charged towards them, the footsteps were so heavy that the people in the basement below could hear them and were like, what the fuck? Damn. Also, people have reported seeing a man on a wagon, like, riding, and they say that it's Andrew, but not sure. And since it's a museum and it has such, like, important artifacts and just, like, old as fuck shit... I mean, it has security, it has all of that, and police have been involved several times because the security's motion detectors will trigger the alarms, so they have to respond, but every time they find Octagon Hall, lights off, locked up, and everything looks secure. But it seems that something keeps going bump in the middle of the night at Octagon Hall. That's so scary. Those, like that paranormal 911, mm-hmm. and that was called that show. Yeah. Where those first responders, like, get those calls and they go to the places where the alarms are going off, yeah. just like this. And they get there and there's fucking nothing there. Yeah. That to me is like scarier than anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know why those stories are the most believable to me, too. Yeah. Like, I, I just, it's like I trust those stories the most. I don't Pro- know. Probably because they are usually, like, no-nonsense kind of people. Yes. And so they've seen the worst. And so for them to be like, I have no idea what that could have been. Or, you know, like, whatever. It's like, yeah, if it spooked them or they don't have an answer, like, eh, I kind of believe that. Yeah, like, what the fuck was that? If they don't fucking know, you know? Mm-hmm. So that is what I have for Octagon Hall. And thank you again, Lisa F., for your recommendation. Because I never heard of it. I've never heard of it either, which, I mean, is not surprising. Well, I'm sure I've heard of it because I used to watch Ghost Hunters, like, religiously. The original Ghost Hunters. And they were there. And it wasn't super, like, active. You know, they weren't, like... Oh, my God, what was that? Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know. But a lot of the times they're not because they are looking for ways to debunk things and to actually help the homeowners, or they were. But Billy called them because, again, he he found that hole, like one of the hollow walls and everything. And so he opened it up to see, like, what's going on. And he was like, it's been weird, you know, like we've heard more stuff. It's been more active. And we don't know if it's been because we're doing construction, you know. But again, he's restoring it using the correct materials and, you know, all of that. It's not like he's like modernize everything, you know. But, right. But it's just like, eh, you know, if they're if they were soldiers hiding and then it's like, open this up, you know, they... You know, it might be like, holy shit, and them retaliating. And so he called them, but 
they were like, I don't think you should be alarmed. Nothing seems malicious, but they did get some EVPs and they did. It sounded like a little girl talking, like a little laugh. It sounded like a woman having a conversation, but just like, not like womp, 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 like the Muppet teacher, but like, it was like someone's having a conversation in the next room. So you couldn't, like you could hear, but you couldn't make out anything she was saying, you know? But Billy was like, no, I hear that all the time. Like someone's having a conversation, but I'm not in on it. And they had this other EVP and it was like them saying, what do you want? You know, like, do you want him to close it back up? Do you want him to leave it open? What do you want? And the EVP said, don't forget about us. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, that's sad as shit. I know. So we're not going to forget about them. Sheesh. So your story has a little bit of lore, you know, like where we don't know if everything was the truth, you know, like if he's making it sound worse or better. And same with this with like the soldiers with the Union or and vice versa. Like maybe the Confederate soldiers were terrible, too. Like maybe it was the Confederate soldiers that did that. And he just didn't want to say, it. you know, like who knows? Again, I wouldn't be surprised if it was both on both sides. Mm hmm. Because you know there's such a huge hunk of this story that is missing as far as like all the trauma from how the people who were slaves were treated and the trauma from mm-hmm. that that's still the residual there. Yeah. And so there's no telling what is true and what's not true. Yeah. And there's literally no way to know because it's all by mouth. Mm-hmm. And it's all one big game of telephone. Yeah. Well, I don't want barbecue uh, sandwiches, but I do want to watch The Patriot now. (laughs) I do love that movie. Heath Ledger. R.I.P. I I was going to say, R.I.P. I I don't think I ever watched that movie all the way through. Well, y'all tell us what y'all think. Do y'all think that old Joe was telling the truth about the number of victims, about his escapades as a barbecue champion? (laughs) Y'all let us know what y'all think. Yes, and again, thank you for the recommendations, both of y'all. Yeah, I was going to say, both these stories came from recommendations, so keep those coming as well. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe and review and all the things. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.